Well, hey, and welcome to Out of Curiosity. It's our podcast where we hope to bring biblical clarity uh, for modern questions. And what we've, we've, been, we've done a series of podcasts on how a Christians to respond to the government, which brings us just a basic practical question today. In light of all of the different policy options and in light of all of the outrage and in light of uh, the different sides and different opinions and the way that that's expressed in our culture, how are Christians supposed to offer grace when we disagree on policy discussions? I think it's a really important question because it's not as if, you know, you get the question, what do Christians believe about this um, issue? You're not, on political policy, you're not going to get a uniform answer. Uh, there's not one Christian view on things. I have heard Christians say, I don't know how you can be a Christian and be a Republican. And I've heard others say, I don't know how you can be a Christian and be a Democrat. So obviously there's not on government policies, a clear Christian answer on most of these issues. And so it can be incredibly divisive. And I think what a lot of people experience is right now, the, the heated outrage venom of the debate, uh, nobody's happy with that. Nobody thinks it's a good thing and nobody knows a way forward. And during the 2016 election, I, w- I had a, a group of believers in a room and we were talking about this on how we navigate this. And I asked them to throw out words to describe the tone of the political conversation in their circles. And I heard anger, hatred, fear, anxiety, uh, a a whole list of everything we would not want life to be. Mm -hmm. And that's what surrounded the conversation. And so as they were listing them, and this was among Christians, and so I just start listing out that list and then drew a line down the middle and the other side wrote, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and recognize that when we as believers come to issues of politics, we typically look like the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Right. Um, Which, as we've talked about before, if persuasion is our goal, that we want to present a persuasive way, if we are forfeiting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives when we enter into the political conversation, that does not look like gospel persuasion. We've already lost. We've lost. We've lost our witness. We We might win a vote and we've lost our gospel witness because we no longer look like Holy Spirit people. So, one of, the, one of the questions I think we're asking is, how do we do that when, when the stakes are high? These are not petty issues we're talking about here. We're talking about what to do with a refugee fleeing a difficult situation coming to our country. We're talking what to do with unborn children. We're talking how do people get health care who can't afford it. These aren't small questions. There's a reason the emotions are high. They're important issues. Um, so demeaning the issues won't help. Uh, dismissing them won't help. They're, they're things we need to talk about, and they're really important. So people should feel passionately about them. That, that, that's right and good that people feel passionately about these issues. But I think for a Christian, what will really help is if we can distinguish between a biblical principle and a political policy. And, and here's what I mean. Oftentimes, what it means to a Christian to disagree over a political policy ultimately goes down to disobeying God. And so two people don't only see themselves as disagreeing about politics when faith gets involved. They also see it as a sin issue. Because I believe my view is what it is to obey God, to go against my view is actually to go against God. And so now we've gone even more heightened than just political anger. Now we're getting into this whole idea of sin and rebellion against God and and. You know, people start tearing each other apart on this. That's why your list is fear, anxiety, yes. uh, outrage, anger, bitterness. That's, that's why our list that's out, sounds like that. That's why the conversation is this. And mm-hmm. so, um, 
it was fascinating to me. I remember there was one big deal about a, a Christian writer who came out on a view that a lot of evangelicals didn't like. And this person was complaining, saying, why are all these Christians critiquing me publicly in such a mean and vicious way over disagreeing with me? And then a short time later, that same person blasted a political figure for a different issue they disagree with in just as vicious and mean of a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you see this happening. I think the core issue is we don't recognize the difference between a biblical principle and a political policy. Here's what I mean. So we have a, a biblical principle, a uh, simple one. Believers, Christian believers, followers of Christ are responsible for helping the poor. Now we're getting down to the nuts and bolts. Of this, this is the this nuts is, and this bolts. Is good. Okay. This is where it gets to, to the, the actual issues that we're talking about. I don't think there's a single Christian. Um, there, uh, there probably is one out there. Most Christians are going to agree with the biblical principle that Christ calls us to acts of mercy to help the poor, to help those in a disadvantaged state. Um, I think that is just a clear teaching of Scripture nobody's going to disagree with. But there is a huge political divide over how is the most practical, helpful, right way to respond to poverty. Mm-hmm. And t- to listen to the way both sides talk about each other, they're incredibly unfair in what they assign to the other side. So, painting in really big broad strokes, overgeneralization that's completely unfair to, to the views of both sides, I'm going to do as best I can here, the basic conservative answer to poverty is what people really need is to take responsibility for their lives. And what the, the best gift you can give someone is personal responsibility. So we need to build programs and government policies that reward good choices and have negative consequences, let you accept the responsibility for your bad ones. Mm-hmm. That's how you answer poverty. Individual responsibility is the answer. The more liberal response would be to say systems of oppression keep people poor and that, the, that people are poor because sometimes people have the cards stacked against them. Mm-hmm. And so a good policy says, hey, where things are unfair, let's give people an equal shot. If a kid is poor because he grew up in a poor environment, let's give that kid programs that give him a chance based on his hard work and his intelligence to actually come out of that unfair situation that the wealthy privileged kid didn't have. Those are two different responses to how to handle poverty. There's probably truth in both. But if you listen to the way they talk about each other, the liberal will say the conservative is heartless and doesn't care about the poor. That they're just greedy and want things for themselves. Now, are there probably greedy conservatives that just want things for themselves? Sure. Obviously. Is that fair to say that everyone who holds the view that individual responsibility is the primary thing is only doing that out of greed? That's probably not a fair thing to say at all. And there are conservatives that will say liberals only want to give handouts to ensure that they get their vote next election. Mm -hmm. Create a dependent culture that needs your handout and they'll keep voting for you and giving you power. Mm-hmm. Now, are there probably liberal politicians that know a handout will get them a vote? Obviously. Absolutely. Is it fair to say that everyone that supports welfare programs is only doing it to advance their own power? No, that's, that's terribly unfair. What's, what's really sad is underneath this is probably great agreement that people living in poverty need their situation to change. Mm-hmm. And what you're highlighting is the difference between the biblical principle is we have a responsibility to care for those that find themselves in a disadvantaged state. And that's something we can agree on. We can agree on that. As Christians, we can agree on that. And maybe we should see more commonality where it's there. And we actually, there's there's maybe a, a gray area when it comes to how you take care of that 
politically in a nation. Yes, and what's so sad, because we attack the hearts of the other side, we refuse to see the wisdom in the other side. Mm-hmm. So because the only way you'd ever want a welfare program is because you're trying to create a dependency culture, I can't hear anything good you have to say about correcting unfair systems. And because you tell the conservative the only reason you're doing that is because you're greedy, I can't hear anything you have to say about personal responsibility. When the reality is welfare programs probably need the wisdom of those arguing for individual responsibility, and those arguing for individual responsibility need help seeing systems of injustice. We actually need to learn from each other. And I think if we could understand the heart behind both people, we actually agree that something needs to be done. There is a right response to people in a terrible situation. If we could see that we actually, especially as believers, both believe the same thing, when we can see that that we're after the same goal, that'll help us listen better, attack less, it doesn't mean that the differences aren't real. You might still, at the end of the day, really disagree on the best policy. But you can disagree on policy without demonizing your opponent, Mm -hmm. without painting them to be a devil who's out to ruin people for their own their own gain, which is what typically happens. So you apply this to so many different policies. You know, one of the really difficult ones in the last couple of years has been same-sex marriage. Now, a, a large number of evangelical Christians believe that the biblical teaching is that marriage is to be one man, one woman for life. That's God's design for marriage. Now, there is a disagreement among evangelicals who have that view on what the government should legislate. Mm -hmm. Some believe that the government should defend that biblical view and only allow heterosexual marriages to be legal in the United States. Others believe that there's no reason, just because that's our view of marriage, that doesn't mean it's the U.S. government's job to legislate our view of marriage. And the U.S. government should allow people who don't have that view to have a same-sex marriage. But what's really interesting about this is both sides paint the other one terribly. Um, Unbiblical, unloving, Unbiblical, unloving, uncharitable. So they'll tell the person who, let's imagine a Christian who believes in heterosexual marriage, who votes for allowing same-sex marriage, you've betrayed the biblical view of marriage. When that's just not you've true. You've rejected God. You've you rejected, rejected God. You've yeah. rejected Scripture. You're lied on Scripture. You don't believe the Bible. Um, and, that's, and suddenly you're attacking the integrity. Now, are there people who betray the Bible? Absolutely. Are there people? Yes. Are there people who... And so I'm, I'm not saying we wash away these differences. I'm saying I think we need to work a lot harder to recognize when we actually do agree on what God commands and we disagree on the political policy to get it done. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could do that, I think if, you could, if, if the world could see Christians having conversations where even if my lean is toward one end of the spectrum, that I can look at people on the other end of the spectrum and go, man, I don't think that policy will work out best, but I see what you're fighting for, and I really command the integrity you're fighting for it with. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that conversation in D.C. right now? Mm-hmm. If, if I can't, the, actually. You can't, <laughs> you can't imagine that. You can't imagine that conversation. But if that was happening in the church... right. If you could have Christian Republicans and Christian Democrats going, we really disagree on this policy, and I really love their heart, mm-hmm. and I love what they're fighting for here, and we're going to have to argue more mm-hmm. about how to get there. Um, because I, I think on a lot of these policies issues, it's really similar to, to the way parenting works. Um, you know, in, in our family, um, Cassie is much more the structure person. 
She sees that we need consistency and we need rhythm, and I'm much more the one to see an exception to everything. Right. And see, there's a reason that we should cave on the, the structure this time. But does that mean that you obviously don't love? That kids? I obviously, <laughs> that I don't think there is such thing as right and wrong. You don't care about her, don't you care don't think her. that there's right boundaries, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean that Cassie is heartless and just a rule Nazi. It doesn't mean either of those. Mm -hmm. It actually means that's a gifting that God's given us, and we're better together. Mm -hmm. Me left to myself, would let our household go into complete chaos, and it'd be really unhealthy for Karis. Cassie left to herself might have too much structure and not realize that there are exceptions in times when we do that. Together, when we're able to talk and collaborate, Cassie brings the structure that she's so good at, I bring the flexibility that I'm good at, and we become, a better, we become better parents for each other. And it's this kind of discourse, this kind of conversation that is missing. It's, it's com I think it's completely missing, and so we've allowed ourselves to push to the extreme, and the nature of it is such that the extreme is actually praised. In mm -hmm. um, the social media era where the, uh, you know, we, want, we want total transparency, and transparency actually keeps these conversations from happening, because if a person on the right is seen as having a helpful conversation with someone on the left, they've lost their base completely. And so, um, and so while we might not be able to affect the Washington conversation, I think as Christians in the church, if we can have more ability to recognize we are after the same value, even if we're going about the different way, it doesn't mean the differences disappear. But I think it'll enable us to have much more fruitful conversations, uh, much more gracious conversations, and probably actually get to better policies. Mm -hmm when we can listen to different perspectives. So I, th I think that would be a really helpful way for us in this conversation. Well, this, uh, that opens up a whole uh, can for other conversations sure. that yeah. I'm sure we could address maybe at other times. Uh, but that, I think that's sufficient for now just to kind of get our heads around it. Um, and I'm sure we'll address maybe some of those things uh, at a later time. Uh, this is Out of Curiosity. It's our podcast where we try to bring biblical clarity on modern issues, modern questions. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed how Christians can form political policy. We encourage you to look into this for yourself even more and recommend looking in scripture at Romans 14 and Galatians 5, 16 through 26. We also recommend the book Onward by Russell Moore. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.